Three, two, one, zero. Home games, away games, games on the moon, it don't matter. We gotta win all of them. Liftoff. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for Kyle Welcome to another episode of the Layup Line. I'm your host, Kyle Radke, joined again by Katie Davidson and Julian Andrews. What's up, guys? Hey, Kyle. How you doing? Hey guys. Um, it's like 95 degrees, and when I when you do these podcasts, I have to turn off the air conditioner. So by the end of this, I will be sweating. You can probably turn the AC back on. It's very loud, and it's okay. right next to me. Never mind. Keep yeah. it off. This air conditioner I found in my like the pantry when I moved. Oh, in this it's house. like a yeah. It's from like 1964. Gotcha. So it's like an external one. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's not in your house. Yeah, that makes sense. No, it's not great. Um, okay. Well, we're going to talk about two more players this week. Last week, we talked about Malik Beasley and Nas Reed. Um, you can listen to that um, on our feed, probably the podcast before this one, and then um, you can read all about that over at Timberwolves.com. But today we have uh, two wings, but, but they're pretty different players, um, Jake Lehman and Josh Okogie. Let's start with Jake Lehman. So uh, Jake Lehman, he, you know, he has he drafted out of Maryland his first two years in the NBA with, with Portland. He really doesn't do anything. Um, his third year, he ends up averaging right around like seven and a half points per game. And I'm pretty sure he had one big playoff performance where he scored like 20 some points. Um, and, and that kind of put him on the map. So the, the Timberwolves signed him and what ended up being a sign and trade. But, um, I mean, it, the, the player that the Timberwolves traded was like a European player that was not, will never play here. It's just one of those formalities you go through. Um, the Timberwolves end up signing Jake Lehman to a multi-year deal. And we can talk about this in a, lit, a little bit, but it's probably worth noting that among all the players that Timberwolves signed last year, he was the only one to receive a multi-year contract, which is probably pretty telling on what the front office thought about Mr. Jake Lehman. Um, rookie season, or his uh, first season, rather, with, with the Timberwolves, not, it, it didn't go according to the plan, obviously, with his injuries and everything, but I think fans are probably pretty happy with what they saw from Jake Lehman. Katie, you wrote about Jake Lyman um, on Monday. We're recording this on a Tuesday. Talk to me about Jake's first season and with the Timberwolves. Yeah, I think you said it pretty well where it's hard to um, really grade his year just because of missing 41 games, what that does to a player. But um, before he was injured, he was averaging 10 and a half points, which is an improvement from where he was in Portland. And I think – we would have seen him just continue to improve um, like he has throughout the course of his career had he not been injured. Obviously, when he came back, it took some time to really get in that rhythm, but we still saw that athletic um, player that he is. I mean, he had that dunk over – I want to say it was Zion, but it was against the Pelicans, I'm pretty sure. It was Derek Favors. Uh, Zion got burnt on the closeout. So Jake pump faked the corner three. Zion went went rolling by, and Derek Favors was on the – the bad end of a poster. Well, still awesome nonetheless, but, um, and he's just a player that from what he's shown us really fits well with this system, especially offensively. I mean, he can play with this team's pace that they want to play with. Um, He has improved from the three-point line, obviously isn't quite where the team would want him to be, I'm sure, but he can get out on the perimeter. shoot the corner three when needed to and obviously has been just kind of known as being the athletic uh, cutter 
which I think Saunders probably talks about that the most about him, just how he's always working on both ends of the court. So I think there's um, obviously something to be excited about with Jake Lehman. It's funny, Katie, when you say uh, they're not as, he's not as good of a three-point shooter as the team might want him to be. I wonder if there's a player in the league who the team would be like, <laughs> no, we actually don't need to, to improve anymore on your three-point shot. We're good. <laughs> the Warriors tell Steph Curry are Right, yeah. <laughs> no, think, yeah. Yeah, I think the thing totally about wrong. The thing about Jake Lehman, too, though, it's like you said, like, okay, so it's, yeah, 33.3% from the three-point line last year, but he also can shoot the three. He's like, I, and like the numbers don't always back this up, but like when he shoots, I just feel confident right. that he's going to make it as opposed to some of the players that the team had on the roster earlier this year where like he, I don't, he it's probably not fair to call him a shooter, but like I, I just feel the eye test. I feel much more confident watching yeah. Jake Lehman shoot than some well, like Travion Graham. Too. Like it's not like – his shot form needs to be reworked or anything like that majorly. Um, and he's got like the athleticism and like the height and the lift to shoot over guys, which is really encouraging. Um, if, you know, if you have somebody sitting in the, although he's probably not a player that's going to sit in the corner because he's probably going to be trying to get to the basket too. Cause I feel like that's kind of his specialty at this point. Um, but it is nice when you have a shooter to feel like they're not just going to get their shot blocked if somebody comes at them. And then also because he's taller, like players are going to have to commit really to contesting his shot. And then that leaves open if he wants to beat people back door. So I don't know. I like Jake Lehman a lot. I think that that cutting ability is something that we've seen Cat really thrive with, not just in Jake Lehman, but if you think about other players who Cat's played with over the last couple of years, I think, Cat's become a way better kind of backdoor passer um, just over the last several years, maybe I would say 18 months to two years. Um, and so I think that Lehman, when he's back and healthy is a guy who's ideally suited to, to that. You know, like I think this, this Wolves team, they need some kind of explosive athleticism. And so I think uh, that's a really big, really big thing. When you look at all three of the guys, I mean, We'll talk about Jared Culver later and, and Josh Okogie later in this podcast. But like, those are all three guys that it, it seems like Carl Anthony Towns really enjoys playing with because they do cut a lot and, and Layman's sort of that. Like, another thing I like about Jake Layman is his positional uh, versatility. And like, he's not like an all world defender, certainly, but like, he is six foot eight and he can guard players on the perimeter. Like, six foot eight is big enough to, to guard post players if need be. Julian, I, I'm curious on your take here. So, you're familiar with the Portland Trailblazers. I know them, yes. Um, given, given your background. So, I mean, he, he's a second-round pick out of Maryland, and, and obviously it took him some time. Um, but, like, your, the first three years in Portland, what do you remember about, about watching him? Uh, dunks. <laughs> I think that was pretty much it. Um, you know, I, again, like, he didn't find his way into a ton of minutes, but it's, it's clear that the team really liked him. He, I think, started for the Blazers for a lot of, I want to say, two years ago. Um, and actually played pretty well when they had a ton of injuries. Um, kind of when that tandem of Mo Harkless and Alfred Camino was so injury-prone, Lehman kind of became the plug-in starter small forward uh, for a lot of the season. And I think he did really well in that role. He's a very complimentary player. Um, like, I feel like he really doesn't need the ball in his hands in order to thrive, and he doesn't need – uh, you know, he can play within a lot of different offenses and fill a lot of different roles for a team. So very versatile, very flexible. Um, 
I don't know, just a good guy to have on your team. It's like tough because it's not like he has one trademark skill. It's not like you bring him in just to do one thing, um, like some other players. So I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, maybe even on this podcast. Um, but he's the type of guy that can fill a lot of roles for you. And when you're, especially when you're kind of a team in flux and building a team, it's nice to have a piece that you kind of move around a little bit. I know I'm this curious. Is, Sorry, go ahead, Pat. No, you're good, Katie. Um, you brought this up with Malik Beasley last week, but Julian, why do you think the Trailblazers were willing to get rid of a player like Jake Glayman, who seemed to be um, showing maybe not huge improvement, but continual improvement over the course of his career? Um, it's hard to say exactly because I, I didn't necessarily agree with the move, honestly. I really liked the signing for the Timberwolves, but I didn't really want the Blazers to get rid of him. Um, I will say, I think that the, it's more about like kind of how it was more about Denver than it was Beasley with trading Beasley. It was the same thing, or it was more about the Blazers than it was Lehman, um, for getting rid of Lehman. I think that the Blazers were kind of tired of this like really long kind of wings that could defend and were athletic, but couldn't really shoot. I think they got really tired of watching guys kind of miss threes in the playoffs and went for a kind of a bigger front court look. I know they've tried to, I think the goal was to play Zach Collins and Nurkic together um, when Nurkic is back. And so I think that, um, and then with some of the young, younger talent they brought in, um, I know they drafted uh, Nasir Little, and I think they wanted to develop him. So I, I don't really know intimately why that's the case, but I, I will say I think it's just more about where the Blazers wanted to go with their ring, wing rotation than anything that Lehman necessarily did wrong. I think they just kind of saw that the way the team was currently constructed had a very defined ceiling and wanted to swing for the fences a little more. Who's to say if that works? I kind of think it didn't, but, but we'll see. Sorry I mean, to put you on the spot like that, but I just no, no, it's good. It's, I have, good, I it's a good question. Like, when I look at that trade, I don't get it. But the writing was on the wall yeah. five days prior when the Blazers signed Anthony Tolliver and Mario Hazonia. When that when those two signings happened, you were like, "Oh boy, that's bad news for Jake Lehman." And then later in July, they signed Pogasol. So it just moves all around the board that that made a lot of sense and made the team better. And anytime you get Hassan Whiteside in that same offseason, <laughs> listen, uh, Kyle. Anytime you can play. Um, four bigs and Damian Lillard together. If you have a, you know, when you have an opportunity to make your starting lineup, Damian Lillard, An- Lillard, Anthony Tolliver uh, at the shooting guard, Mario Hazonia mm-hmm. at the three, um, Hassan Whiteside at the four, and potentially when he gets back, Yusuf Nurkic at the five. I, I don't well, see, I don't see how you can pass up that opportunity. And one of the things with Lehman, which is great, is his basketball IQ, um, and, and that's been said about Mario Hazonia since he's entered the league. <laughs> Just very high basketball IQ, smart player. Um, I mean, at this, at this point, like what? Yeah, exactly. Like at this point, what what is IQ even worth? You know, at some point, you just need to be you need to be a brawler. You need to be physical, and you know, maybe Jake Clayman uh, just wasn't uh, wasn't mean enough. For whatever that's worth, I thought <laughs> Mario Hazonia was going to be like the, like the best player ever when he came into the post. Oh, but yeah, yeah. Either here nor there. Um, okay, so Jake Lehman, uh, th- this stat's probably not super fair because, like, at the beginning of the season, the Timberwolves were healthy. We love an unfair stat. And, but and, and Andrew, Wiggins, Andrew Wiggins is playing well. But I do think it is kind of telling that, like, with Jake Lehman, um, and nobody's going to say, like, okay, Jake Lehman's the, the piece of every team's puzzle. If you get Jake Lehman, you're guaranteed to play at least 500, no matter who else is out there. But, like, they, the Timberwolves were 11 and 12 with Jake Lehman in the lineup. 
I, like, I mean, like, again, I know that at the beginning of the season, they, they played a lot better than at the end of the season and that they hit those rough patches and who's the, they have Jake Layman's on those teams. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they probably aren't like su- substantially better, but it does tell me that he's a piece that fit in quite well, you know, with the team before everything happened with the trade deadline and after. The point is that you can win with Jake Lehman. And I think that there are, and I think there is definitely evidence to show that because the Blazers also played pretty well when he was starting for them at small forward. So uh, I think that that's like the bigger point than the fact that the Timberwolves went, you know, 500 in those 20 games. It's kind of like, okay, so you can win if you're while starting Jake Lehman. Like it's possible. And there, I don't, I don't think it's that unfair to say that there are players who played a lot of minutes for the Wolves this year who, like, if they were in your starting lineup, you probably would not be able to win that many games. So I, I think that that, you know, it, it might be kind of an unfair stat, as you say, but I also think there is something that you can take away from it. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. Um, I mean, that, that's a good way to put it because I, I always find it funny, like, when I watch the NFL draft, um, every player, like, it'll be like a seventh-round pick, right, and they're always just like, this guy could turn into a starter in two to three years. Um, okay, but but in all likelihood, that player will not become a starter. Um, it's 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 kind of what I feel like with basketball players. With somebody like you look at uh, some of the wings on the Timberwolves, whether it be Layman or Josh Okogie or Jarrett Culver, and like you don't know if these players are going to be stars. Um, with Culver, I mean, he he has probably the highest ceilings, but like with Okogie and Layman, right? Th- these aren't players who are like probably going to make an all-star game like they, they, a Kogi might make that an all defensive team or, or whatever but that doesn't take anything away from from what they are and what they give to the team like these players are equally so I think sometimes we get lost and like it's like what's their potential and blah 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 and it's like well Jake Lehman is at his best when he's playing 22 minutes a, a game for a team and like you need a guy like that we've like we've watched countless hours of playoff basketball over the years and like players like Jake Lehman are super important and it's always, like, those are the guys that immediately after, uh, the, you know, the playoffs, like, those are the ones that get paid. And, um, like, Lehman, to a lesser extent, had, had a solid playoff series. But, like, I think of somebody like Fred Van Fleet, who, who I think is going to be a free agent this offseason. Like, he's going to get paid for the work he did in the playoffs, not necessarily for the, for the regular season player. Um, another thing, and I think this is especially probably pretty timely for, for everything that's going on, um, Lehman's in the community – um, he, he's gone to volunteer events. He's gone to protests in Minneapolis. Katie, can you just kind of touch on um, maybe the significance of a player like Jake Lehman, who, like, first off, go, going to volunteer events during the pandemic, obviously super important. But, um, I mean, I, I do think it, it, it says something when you have a white player um, standing up, with, you know, with his black teammates in, in something that maybe he doesn't experience, but he wants to be there for them. Yeah, no, he's been – I mean, vocal, I, I haven't seen him speak anywhere. I saw him, I was like right behind him at the 10K protest march a couple of weeks ago. And he was there with his wife um, and maybe some family members, but he was there and he's been like vocal on Twitter about things. And I think that's just really appreciate, like something that you can admire and appreciate because there are a lot of athletes right now who are choosing to not say anything. And um where I get where sometimes that might be um, the thing that seems most appropriate because you're afraid of what to say or like don't want to be politically incorrect or something like that. And, but I think when people aren't saying anything, it kind of makes maybe teammates or black Americans who are 
going through this every single day, like wonder if they even care about it. So I think to see Jake being so um, active, vocal, and just present in the community right now is really huge, especially for someone who's new to Minnesota or relatively new at least. And um, I don't know, I think that should go quite a bit or quite a long way with the fan base too, aside from what he's doing on the court. But. Yeah, I agree, hundred um, percent. I think Jake Lehman is, yeah, it, from what I, just being around the team in Mankato last year for training camp, it seemed like he was a player that fit in in the locker room almost immediately, and that didn't change when the whole locker room changed. So it, it seems like he's just a guy that can kind of fit in with any group, and I think that goes probably on and off the court as well. Didn't he also like miss his honeymoon or something to go to that? He, or he like came directly from his honeymoon directly, to the team trip. Yeah, right, he went to the Bahamas. Yeah, yeah, so what I think happened was he just got back from his uh, his wedding, mm-hmm. like his wedding weekend, he kind of cut short to go to his press conference. And then like two weeks later, he went straight from his honeymoon to the Bahamas trip. I remember there was an interview with him, one of our video guys did, where he was like, yeah, I wasn't going to, I don't know, it's like kind of crazy couple of weeks, but I couldn't miss this. So I feel like, yeah, the, again, like, it's been since, like, from the beginning. This isn't something new with him. He's been really bought in. So anytime anybody wants to cut their honeymoon short and your significant other says you can't do that, just show them that clip, clip of Jake Lehman. You can do it. Um, all right. I, yeah, overall, I think we all agree. Like, Jake Lehman, first year, obviously, you, you, like, the injuries played a huge role and you would have loved to see him on the court. But, like, I, I don't think there's any doubt going into season two, like, a healthy Jake Lehman's a very positive contributor to what the, the Timberwolves do. Uh, and Kyle, I just want to point out, going back to your point that you made that stood out to me is just like, next year if we're doing this and trying to do a roster review or review his season, if we don't see his numbers like make a huge increase, even if he's playing more regularly, doesn't have a huge injury, like that shouldn't be counted against him either. Maybe that's just his role to score eight to 10 points a game off the bench too, so. It's true, like we said, yeah, th- th- those guys are important. Uh, a guy who also is important to this team is Josh Jacoby, who is the second most tenured Timberwolf on this roster, which sounds funny because he's only been in the league for two years. Um, but, but I mean, I think like Josh Jacoby is one of those guys where in his rookie season, I mean, like we, we all remember that block he had on James Harden and the Rockets. And basically like, this is a guy who was everywhere on the court at once. And, a, the, coming into a second season, Ryan Saunders was actually like, yo, Josh, love the intensity, my man, but, like, got to chill. Like, you know, pick your battles. And I, I remember, like, somebody like Corey Brewer and, and Ricky Rubio, who were also plus defenders during their time with the Wolves, they were kind of so, told the same thing, like, pick your battles on when to gamble because if you gamble and you, you whiff, uh, it, it breaks down our whole defense. So uh, I, th- I think what we saw from Josh Akogi in season number two was uh, a player who – was under more control and that didn't take anything away from his um, defensive prowess. Uh, I mean, his numbers across the board and it's easy to say, okay, well, um, a player played more minutes or a player got more of an opportunity. So of course their numbers are going to go up. Well, yes. I mean, his points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game all went up. Um, but also he, he shot 42.7% from the field, um, which isn't, it doesn't seem great. Right. But that's a 4% increase from his rookie season. His three-point shooting um, did, did see a dip down to go uh, 1% to 26.6%. But Katie, you wrote this in his roster review piece. It's coming out later this week. Um, Josh had a really big slump in, in like, like over like a month. And 
if you go through a slump like that, like it's hard to get your averages back on track. What do you remember from that month and like Josh's mentality and how he kind of got out of that? Yeah, I just remember thinking, because I think that was December, I want to say. I can't remember the specific dates, but I know there, I reread the roster review today and he was like two for 22 from three during that stretch. And I just remember like watching the energy that he played with his rookie season just kind of weighing a little bit. And it just seemed like he had lost a lot of confidence in himself. So I remember thinking, okay, was that nonstop energy that um, he was branded with? Was that just like a rookie thing that we weren't expecting a lot from him his rookie season? So just any kind of like um, thing that stood out to us, was that just something that we attached to right away and got really excited about? And was that not who he played with or who he is as a player in actuality? But we saw that return, um, I think, probably like early January. Um, I think it happened much before the actual trade deadline and all those moves. Obviously, his numbers improved um, huge, hugely. Um, hugely isn't the word. I hugely. Want to say. <laughs> um, his numbers were terrific after the trade deadline. I'm believing that. Had... <laughs> it's gonna be. It's gonna be hugely. I mean, honestly, the last three months from working from home, I think everybody's brains are mush. So we just you use words well, like hugely. Thank you guys. Yeah. Bigly, but yeah. no. I think he got more so in January and he just became like more of a vocal leader, especially defensively too. And I think he really took on a responsibility with Culver and trying to like talk him through his rookie season. I remember him talking to the media about like here he shot 72% from the free throw line as a rookie, which was bad compared to his college numbers. And then this year he shot 79% and just kind of talked about like that happens your rookie year. And I'm sure he said the same thing to Culver too. And he just took on a bigger leadership role. And I think the maturity that he's shown um, throughout this season off the court, this off season too, has been huge. I'm just really excited about Culver excuse me, Akogi. And I told you guys yesterday that I've bought a lot of Josh Akogi stock, so I'm ready for you guys to talk me down a little bit, but I'm really excited for his future. And I do think he will eventually be an all-defensive player. Um, I'm not sure he can be one of the best two-way players in the league, but um, it's good that he has that goal. Julian, do you remember draft night when we took Josh Akogi? Yeah, of course. Um, so I, like we, we did a lot of research. We probably did a prospect profile in like 30, 35 players. Um, yeah. Josh Akogi was not one of those players. Nope. <laughs> and they drafted 20th overall. And I remember like our PR team was kind of giving us a heads up on um, who the Wolves might take and blah, blah, blah. And or I th actually, I think we did write a prospect profile on him, but we did not have him going in the first round. Yeah, of the draft. exactly. We, we had, we had, yeah, exactly. We had a profile, but we didn't have him in our mock draft. Yeah, so I felt bad about that. Um, it is pretty apparent that he's one of the probably the top 30 players in that draft class. Um, so I, I do feel bad about that, and I hope Josh isn't listening Sorry, to this. Josh. But, but Julian, like, I, I remember we were both in that Rockets game. We were watching from that like the media suite there uh, when he was going up against Harden. And, like, yeah. It's just so much fun to watch. And like a player like that in today's NBA is kind of lost. Cause I think um, like with, with 
A, with younger players, I mean, they're a lot more offensive focused. But to have a player that's like, he's so hell-bent on being such a good defender and being all over the court. And like, sometimes it is detrimental, but like, effort will never be a problem. How much fun was it? Like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth like I do on most podcasts, but like, as a player, like, he's such a fun player to watch. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's fun to watch any NBA player who's like one of the best players in the NBA at what they do. And I think Josh is already one of the best defenders in the league. I don't think that that's too much of a stretch. Um, Obviously there are things that he still has to learn just in terms of, you know, like playing within the team defensive scheme, but like in terms of a one-on-one on-ball defender, I don't know. Like, do you think, is it fair to say that like for, at least for guards, he's a top 15 defensive guard right now? Yeah, I, I think you know that that feels fair to me, and so I think uh, it's yeah, it's just really fun to watch a player who's the best at what they do. And I think we're so used to watching offensive players who are great at what they do, and the level of offensive player in the league is so high right now um, that watching somebody who can stop offensive players is really really impressive. Um, and so yeah, it energizes the building in a way that, especially you know. In some of these Wolves games, it's been hard to get defense going, you know, and I think the crowd kind of gets frustrated and starts to feel like no matter what we do, like no no matter how much we score, it's not really going to matter because we can't stop anyone. So when Josh is playing like he does, um, you know, it's it's really impressive and it's really, uh, I don't know, it's, yeah, it gives gives everyone a lift. I think it also does show that it's like, People might say, okay, well, how does Josh Okoge, one of the best defensive players in the league, when his team is not very good at defense? Um, and I, I think that just kind of proves that you need more than one def- good defense. Like, you know, right. we, like we've talked on this podcast before, it's like, okay, like him and Jared Culver have the makings of being a really, really good defensive uh, duo off the bench for the Timberwolves. And you'd be like, okay, why isn't the team defense better? And it's like, well, if you look at any team in, you know, th- like in the postseason, it's, they have four, five, six guys like this. Um, like it's why like the NBA superstars, you know, you talk about like somebody like Kawhi and, and um, you know, our, our old friend, Jimmy Butler, but it's like, it's why those guys are, you know, are so powerful in this league. And yes, you have guys like Trey Young and yes, you have guys like Steph Curry, but the reason you have Andre Udala in Golden State is because you have Steph Curry. Right. And the reason why the Atlanta Hawks are in the top four again in the lottery um, it's because you, you, you have a guy like and, – and I'm not taking anything away from Trey Young. I'm just saying they just don't have the defensive stoppers. If you're going to have somebody that's offensive-minded like that, you need him to be somewhat competent on the defensive side too. Um, and I think like the, I think when Kirsten Rosas looks at this roster, I think what you're seeing he put together, he has two capable defenders that can switch. We just talked about Jake Lehman, who is another guy that can play multiple positions. Um, and I think you kind of build off that and then you figure out the offense. So I think you probably have your two players and I don't think anybody's going to deny this in, in Russell and Towns where you say, okay, the defense is not their, their, their strength. It's like, okay, well then the rest of the guys around them need to be really good. And, and Josh Kogi is a, certainly a, a good place to start. Obviously the one thing you'd like to see him get a little more comfortable with this off season is his three point shooting. Um, but one thing I do want to bring up, like, like any pickup basketball you play or watch, I think it's a lot more, it's easier to play. Like I'll, I'll just go back to my glory days, uh, which is about four months ago when I played pickup. Well, if you're in the glory days. Yeah. Um, like I'm not 
a, a great offensive player, right? And I'm, I'm just saying pick a ball like you're playing with guys that never played. Um, we have 10 minutes in this meeting. Okay, well, I'm not going to upgrade. Um, okay. Um, it's easier to play with other guys that can score, and chances are you'll score more and you'll get more opportunities with the better offensive players. I think what we saw in December from Josh and, like, some of the other guys is that, like, okay, it's like you shoot, no, you shoot, no, you shoot. And it's like the defense doesn't see any of those guys as threats. So in the final 14 games after the trade deadline, uh, Josh's numbers, like nine points, four rebounds. But what sticks out the most is that he shot 50% from the field and 36% from the three-point line. Um, like, those aren't wild numbers, but if, if he can keep that going into season, there is third season. And even if that, that three-point percentage goes to 32 or 33%, and he, at least he's a threat where defenders have to guard him at the three-point line, um, that's absolutely huge. And, and I know we're talking about percentages, but over the course of 82 games, um, that, that, that's super significant. I want to point out something too, because I rag on his offense quite a bit, but he's also, it's a lot in transit or his transition defense leading to opportunities offensively, but he, I think it was just under 18% of his shots that he attempted. He was fouled on this year, which is, according to cleaning the glass, um, 98th percentile for his guard, or they have him as a wing, but, um, and he took his free throw percentage improved, like I talked about, but just having a player like that when he's staggered and playing with um, D'Lo, when D'Lo and Beasley aren't playing together, I think is pretty big because D'Lo hasn't exactly shown us that he's a guard who's get willing to get to the rim all the time and play physical where Josh can kind of counter that and he welcomes contact and physicality all the time. So I think that's one thing that he'll add to the offense. Even yeah, that's a really good point. Percentage doesn't go up, but he was also huge on offensive rebounds this year, which might say more about the team, but he grabbed 5.5% of our offensive rebounds. So Katie with the stats. I, 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 like, I, I cut his highlight video, and I've never seen a player miss a basket or if Josh gets the ball stolen from him on the offensive end. I've never seen a player run faster down the court to either steal that ball or block the, the player. There's like three or four plays where Josh would like miss a three, it'd be a long miss. It'd start a fast break and he'd, he'd start with a, with a block. And he had like so many plays where he'd steal a ball pass it it would get stolen and then they'd pass it back and then he would steal it again that is the it's, josh akogi experience right it's there it's just <laughs> yeah it is like there's a play against the 76ers where like he stole it he was going out of bounds he went to go throw it to a teammate somebody in the 76ers stole it back and then josh akogi just ran over and stole it again it's like ah what's happening um but yeah i mean also i, I think when we can talk about guys like layman and and uh, a Kogi and we talked about Culver like you, you have your Beasley and your Russell and we'll see what happens this offseason with decisions the team has to make but let's just say you pencil those two in starting next season and then you have a Kogi Lehman and Culver come off the bench I think it is telling where the Timberwolves will look in the draft for, for, for a position of need um, like obviously if, if you get a, a, a shooting guard with the number one pick and, and or number four pick whatever um, I think there's guys that are up there surely um, but I think if you see them fall back through four to seven, I think that there's players that are in maybe more of a position of need. Um, Cause yeah, I certainly would hate one of these guys, these wings that certainly deserve playing time not to get it. Um, but we'll see. 
Does, you know, there's only five players in the court at a time in the NBA. So that's why we got to teach all the ways to play point guard. You know my stance on this. It's, well, you're, you're right. Ball handling. Makogi um, is one that could could deal with that. But I mean, Makogi's year one to year two, like there was a substantial improvement. Right. I mean, oh, I yeah. think we for I sure think we can all agree. For sure. Like it, it might not look like it on paper, but I think that like watching him play, I felt way more comfortable. Like. Yeah, he was more controlled. This is like the I classic think. Kyle Radke, oh, God, no test. You know, like <laughs> when yeah. we, like how you talk about, like, your comfort level when you watch somebody take a three-pointer. You know, there, I think there are certain players who you have watched through your long career with the Timberwolves that you'd rather not watch take threes. Um, and for me, Akogi, I loved watching him play defense, but then whenever he – would steal the ball and start to push the ball up court. I would like to be looking through my fingers because I know that he was about to do something crazy on the break. Um, and I think that that, I mean, that's great. Like, as Ryan said, that comes from a great place. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that has gotten a lot better. And I think that now I'm way more comfortable having him push the ball up. And so that right there is an improvement, you know, because if you're going to be somebody who gets steals, you want to be able to run a successful fast break. Yeah, it's true. I think his rookie season was like the cute, uh, this is a 20th pick. We didn't know what to expect. He's better than we thought. And then like the second season, it was like, wait, this is a guy that's going to play 20 minutes per game. Hopefully he doesn't do some of the same stuff he did last year. And um, while he did, because he's like 21 years old, uh, I think he, he improved on a lot and, and he was, like, you know, he was under control a lot. Um, and then, you know, like we talked about with Lehman, I think Josh kobe has been on the, on the forefront of a lot of the, the social issues as well and i think he's used his platform um and, and his voice to to reach people that um and, and, and without getting too political here i i do think that there are a lot of basketball fans that are simply like you know what i don't want to hear about politics i don't want to hear about certain things that don't impact me and i think with josh Kogi and, and carl anthony towns and players like jake layman and that's just on the timberwolves it goes across the league I think it, it tells you, well, sure, it doesn't affect you, but, it, you know, it, it affects the players playing the game, and it affects all of us. And I think that's, like, the, the most important thing. You might not think it affects you, but it certainly does, um, you know, and it, it, it affects those players that, um, that you watch and idolize. And um, you, you, we're getting to the point where, the, and I absolutely love this, that you can't take – the player and the person are one and the same, um, and they're, they're so important. You, you, you can't just have a favorite player, right? I mean, um, with, with social media and – um, you know how prominent players are using their platform. I think it's one of the same. I think it's a it's a very good thing. So um, that is it for Josh Kogi and Jake Lehman, two wings that I think uh, have a place certainly um, in the rotation, and I think two players that we were impressed with in 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 uh, the 2019-2020 season. Which uh, it's over for the Timberwolves. We've talked about this before. It's over for the Timberwolves. Um, they're one of eight teams that won't be playing in Orlando, which starts up July 30th, I think, is the day. Um, and also, we have two minutes left, but good news, guys. Uh, we'll touch on this. The WNBA. Yeah. There's, there's going to be a season. News. So uh, in a 22-game season, which is Not really so good news. Exactly. Like, Major League Baseball, they don't know what they're doing right now. Um, oh, we it, could do an hour on that, I'm sure. But we, we certainly could. But like the fact that the WNBA was able to get everything in order, um, even though their season is pretty much like the same, um, you know, uh, you know, a few months that the yeah, they're the only losing twelve games, right? Yeah, I think that's huge. So, you got on them. You guys pumped for that? I'm pumped. Yes. Very pumped. Yeah, and 100% pay, which 
Yeah, we should do a whole other podcast talking about this, but I also think just like the visibility and exposure of kind of happening like concurrent to the NBA mm-hmm. is going to be really good for the league. Yeah, I am worried about, um, uh, you know, I, 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 we're less than a minute. Zoom is kicking up. I, I will say I'm worried about the two seasons overlapping a little bit. Yeah. Um, but but if, play, if, if we don't have baseball and everybody's working mm-hmm. from home anyways, give me, give me some like 1, 3, and 5, and 7 p.m. games for both sports. Yeah. Just give me a 1 p.m. NBA game, 3 p.m. WNBA game, 5 p.m. NBA, 7. That's my life. I'm good I think we found our next podcast topic because I, <laughs> I think I think it's going to be a good thing, the overlap. But if we can go more into that, I'll just leave you on that cliffhanger. We will. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye.